and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by the travel writer and broadcaster, Simon Calder. He's TV's travel guru and the travel editor at The Independent Newspaper, where he's known as the man who pays his way because he doesn't accept any freebies from the travel trade. And in this episode, he gives some great tips for traveling on a budget. I spoke to Simon at the beautiful Kensington Hotel in London. He's got such a great story because his first job was at Gatwick Airport, cleaning planes and working on security. And the notion of simply traveling abroad while working there felt like a distant dream. Now, of course, he spends his life traveling the world. Make sure you stay tuned for his all-time favorites and hidden gems. There are some really interesting ones in there. As ever, all the destinations mentioned by Simon are included in this episode's show notes. So let's hear from him now. Simon Calder, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? Uh, well, all, all good. Um, it's never been a better time to be a traveller. And I think I can pretty much say that that's been true all through my life. It's just been better and better. I mean, I can't imagine how many places that we could potentially cover when it comes to your travel diaries. But um, I'm looking forward to discovering some of them. So let's start then with chapter one. And that is your earliest childhood travel memory. What would that be? Well, um, I was born beside the A23 in Crawley, which is um, about two miles south of Gatwick Airport, a place which was going to figure quite largely in my life uh, later on. Yeah. Um, halfway between London and Brighton. Um, and Crawley, for anybody who kind of knows it as it was in the 1960s, not a particularly exciting place to be. So... Um, Going abroad was the most exciting. Sorry, going abroad, <laughs> chances of doing that were extremely remote. Going anywhere which wasn't Crawley was really quite exciting. So um, the first family holiday trip I remember was to uh, Swanage in Dorset. Beautiful place. It was before they decimated the railway, so therefore you could catch a steam train from London Waterloo. Oh, how it was so exciting. We stayed in the Grand Hotel, which was, of course, quite grand when I was five. I went back there recently and it didn't look quite so grand. But <laughs> even better um, and far more vivid was the following year when I was six. A couple of things happened. First of all, the um, uh, my parents dispatched me and my very slightly older sister uh, for a week with the Woodcraft folk going to the Lake District. What are uh, the Woodcraft folk? The Woodcraft folk are a kind of very right-on uh, combination of uh, scouts and guides, brownies and cubs, uh -huh. and very left-wing. And so it was all kind of tied in with the Communist Party, with the cooperative society and stuff and basically the idea was that you would go off and explore and grow as um individuals and they were very casual because of course you know having a, a six-year-old and i think my sister was seven um was a, a slightly uh, well they were different times that was great and then 
also later that year it was the cuba missile crisis and um uh for anybody who's under 50 let me just remind you what happened uh, the world came closer to um nuclear armageddon than it ever had done because uh, the russians were moving um, the soviet union forgive me were moving missiles into cuba and it looked as though uh, the americans were going to um launch uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles in the general direction of the soviet union which would have been annoying because then they would have fired some back which probably would have been aimed a few of them at gatwick so therefore we would have been obliterated so my parents said where can we afford to go to and the furthest they could afford to go to was guernsey in the channel islands which required getting on a plane which was quite the most exciting experience of my entire life at that point possibly my entire life now wow so the Cuba Missile Crisis could have instigated your love of travel, essentially. Yeah, well, I think being born in Crawley instigated my love of being anywhere <laughs> apart from Crawley, which in- inevitably involved travelling. And what was your impression of Guernsey, having you know not left well, until then? Uh, uh, my main memory was, of course, of flying in a Vickers Viscount from Gatwick Airport and just racing down the runway, and off we went, and um, landing in this beautiful island. And uh, I remember my father was having to work, um, but my mother. Just just took us around and we we were um well i've got lucky enough to have lots of siblings and we all just um, had the most wonderful time and i think it virtually bankrupted them um but mm. uh, gradually they they put things back together how long did you stay there living there uh, i think a week until it looked as though nuclear armageddon had been postponed and i do recall that they had chosen half term for the possibility of nuclear Armageddon. And so oh, that's convenient. It wasn't, um, it wasn't too bad, yes. <laughs> so you say that Gatwick Airport was a big feature in your childhood and your youth, I understand, as well? Oh, well, I, we used to work there. Lots of people from Crawley just used to work at Gatwick Airport. So yeah. I cleaned out planes. I um, uh, acted as a security guard, frisking people as a as a job, not a hobby. Um, I <laughs> cleaned out the, air, uh, the offices of... Um, company called BEA Air Tours, part of what is now British Airways. And I just gradually, the, the travel business is so unusual in that I think it is really compelling. So even if you're working at an airport, um, which is quite frustrating because all these people going off to wonderful places and you're, you're cleaning out their planes for them. Yeah. It's still so exciting. There's so much happening. There's such a sense of adventure um mostly involving other people and and those days of course i didn't think i'd ever be able to fly for fun because it was just something that um it was way way beyond uh anybody's imaginings who was just earning average amounts and uh yet well things have just got um here you are today so when you were working there um did you kind of look up at the departures board and Mm. dream of far off lands no because that would suggest that i was thinking of going there and i couldn't um so you'd see so there wasn't one that had a particular allure that you saw kind of flashing up cleaning out freddie laker's planes when he was flying them to um to new york but the even at his fantastic fairs, the idea that you would be able to um, simply wasn't it was just one of those things. You, you never, I think probably I'm part of a generation who would never seriously think they could ever get across the Atlantic. And if they were lucky enough to get to Mallorca, then they, they would count themselves extremely lucky, which I still do. So then how did you get from that to becoming the travel man? I did have a sensible, proper job i was um 
a mathematician by training. Then I taught mm. maths for a short while. Mm-hmm. Then I became an engineer for 15 long years. But all the time I was doing that, I was just doing um, writing guidebooks and uh, trying to fund my travel habit. Right. And then I, uh, this new newspaper started called The Independent. And um, huh. they had a funny policy, which was, uh, they didn't take any free trips. And since nobody would give me a free trip, I was quite well suited to it. So I used to mm-hmm. write stuff for them. And then Frank Barrett, the excellent original travel editor of The Independent, left to go to a better paying job. And they said, would you like his slightly less well paid job? And I said, thank you very much. Um, after about one microsecond. And um, well, that was over 25 years now, beginning my 26th year. And my goodness me, every day I do wake up and think how lucky I am. And you're known as then, the, as you were saying, you're known as the man who pays his mm, way. Yeah. How, how do you feel about that? Um, a bit silly, frankly. Um, yes. So the Independent didn't take any any uh, free trips at all until about, I'm going to say 2003, when suddenly we expanded the coverage so much that there was simply no way of... Of, of making the sums work unless we took uh, trips from um, uh, travel companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought, oh, hang on, I've been doing this for f- um, nine years um, and I can sort of just about do it. And the, the cost of travel is falling, falling, falling constantly. So I'll just carry on doing this. And um, I can call myself the man who pays his way. And people can either think, well, how marvellous and noble. Or <laughs> just think, what an idiot. Um, and uh, so, so that's, that's all. It's just a, a point of difference, I guess. And you will never, ever find me paying for a specific seat on a flight. If I, or indeed for checking in a bag. Thank you very much. Never. No. So, what's your tip for that then? What would you What would you suggest people do? Well, um, if with uh, seating, okay, let's take the most extreme example: Ryanair, who seem to allocate quite a lot of middle seats um, early in the booking process. So, you just check in three hours before the flight, and once I actually got seat one A, best one on the plane, um, because they've got rid of all the rubbish seats, right? And they've only got nice ones left to give you. And then, even if you don't like the one you've been given, I'm afraid I'm always the last one on the plane. And I'll just get on and I'll scout to see, oh, there's a couple of empty seats there. I'll sit there and I have a bit of extra elbow room. Or, oh, there's a seat by the window in the second row. I'll have that one because then I can get off quick at the other end. Yeah. So, um, very, very good tip. Oh. So, moving on then to chapter two, mm. that is the first place that you fell in love with. Yep. Uh, good question. Thank you. Uh, good, good chapter. Going abroad, um, I would have to say Granada in Spain. So my parents, who were wonderful in their liberal view of children, have one thing, which was they wouldn't let us go to Spain until Franco had gone. And so the year after he went, I um, hitchhiked down to Spain and reached Granada and looked up at the Alhambra uh, and just thought this is the most magnificent thing I've ever seen and I come from Crawley um, so uh, this was just utter utter joy so is that a place that you still oh, keep in your heart yes you I, go I back went to back there with my uh, wife and younger daughter and it was still just utterly blissful and anybody who's not been lucky enough to go there I do recommend it very easy to get to you can catch a bus straight from Malaga airport if you can't afford the flight on BA from London City right okay so it's there are different options to go there and if you you go there what would you recommend that people do 
Uh, find a cheap and cheerful hotel. Go to, and this is a weird thing. There's so many weird things, Ollie, in travel, aren't there? It's there a are. weird thing. You go to an ATM, you put your bank card in. It says, do you want a ticket for the Alhambra tomorrow? It does. It does. Oh, and wow. you book a ticket for the Alhambra in a cash machine. It's just the well, weirdest thing. And then you, you go very first thing in the morning, then you just enjoy walking through the... Oh, just as such... Uh, see, I'm getting a real buzz just talking about it. Mm. Um, because you've got a combination of um, Islamic grandeur, this wonderful palace, mm-hmm. and the kind of poorer quarters of the city where you do feel as though life has sort of slightly unraveled and then back in the center you've got some grand buildings you've got tapas bars everywhere and um yeah it's just just lovely hitchhiking i think is featured quite heavily throughout the years in your traveling yes yeah, so it's also if i may featured quite heavily in quite a lot of your podcasts i was going to say yeah. Le- leverson wood a uh, guest on season one very big advocate of hitchhiking and i'm really i've I've never done it. I, I know. So, well, let's go. Yeah. For goodness sake, it's... Um, is it as easy today, would you say? Easier, easier. That's that's um, because I'm not uh, 17 with long hair and a Belgian army great coat, which costs £3.10 shillings, <laughs> um, and cool. standing there with a roll-up in my mouth. So, yes, it is easier. Thank you very much. I think... Oh, I've had to, oh gosh! Um, just last summer, I went to Sky, which is almost impossible to get to, even if you have got a car. Yeah. And I flew. Sorry, sorry, planet. I flew into Inverness. I was walking, and with any flight, particularly somewhere like that, you just get off the plane and you run because you know that. The only people who are ever going to pick you up are the people on that plane. Right. So you run and you get out. And I, I got a lift to the complete middle of Scotland, the middle of nowhere, middle of the Highlands. and waited there about two minutes. And then this guy stopped and said, um, go to Sky. Great. Where are you going? And he said, I'm going to Glen Brittle, which is as far as you can possibly be in Sky and still be on the same planet. Um, and uh, so that was great. And then wow. coming back, I got another lift um, from Sky all the way down to Gatwick, uh, Gatwick Airport, Glasgow Airport. And this being the world that we're now living in, um, I was able to sort of think, right, OK, so we're we're in Glencoe now. It's going to take uh, and, and actually book my flight as I was going along. It wow. was fantastic. So it's just such a joy. You just meet people you wouldn't otherwise meet. Um, and can I just put in a plug for how much safer uh, traveling in general and hitchhiking in particular has become far far safer than when i started and that's mm. simply because the biggest threat to any traveler is road accidents and certainly in the countries that people tend to go to particularly spain portugal uh, france and so on the death toll on the roads bluntly has fallen so far that um, you're now far safer than you ever were and anybody who says oh the world's more dangerous now no it isn't i can show you lots of numbers and show you it's a lot safer thank Mm, you mm, absolutely yeah i think that there's scaremongering and the media can put us off going to all kinds of places and it really impacts on the tourism and the industry in these countries and it's such a shame well um there are risks and uh i get a lot of people are kind enough to get in touch with me and ask me questions and they will typically say is Sri Lanka safe is Egypt safe is Mm. Turkey safe and all I can say is uh, no um, there are risks attached to anywhere Um, I'd be particularly careful about road travel Um, there is a distant possibility of of terrorism but I'm I put 
being I guess a mathematician and so therefore very very keen on actual numbers being a victim of a terrorism outrage absolutely awful when they happen but they are so rare they're a bit like plane crashes um you might be caught up in one but the chances are overwhelmingly that you won't be um and i don't say that with anything other than utter sympathy for anybody who's who's um uh, lost a loved one in in a terrorist attack or a plane crash but the world is just so much safer than it was Mm, mm. chapter three then simon is the place where you learnt the most about yourself oh oh the philosophical ones i'm <laughs> going to keep this one fairly quick so I, I think we we um probably uh find out about ourselves quite um uh, on a fairly continuous basis so um isla white pop festival 1970 i was 14 at the time um and there was this pop festival with half a million people and my parents just said yeah off you go and my sister said, yeah, come with us. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. And so I, well, being 14 and not really having anything to kind of calibrate things, you just thought, well, Jimi Hendrix was always going to be playing at a festival near you, um, that the Who were going to be there, that pretty much every group in the world, apart from the Beatles, who sadly split up, and the Rolling Stones, who I think were sulking, um, was there. Oh, wow, and you just learn that, yes, you can just that you can make do with whatever you've got and if you're in a crowd of half a million people that would be all right and i suppose the other one which is kind of the other extreme where you're you're kind of a bit more alone would be climbing aconcagua um the highest mountain outside the himalayas and i would urge anybody who can put one foot in front of the other to try it because you see i'm scared of where is it it's in Argentina, very close to the border of Chile. And I'm going to right. say it's 23,000 feet minus a bit. I can't remember, frankly. It seemed a jolly long way. Wow. But you just plod, plod, plod all the way up to the top. And again, you, you it takes a kind of three-week trip from leaving the UK to getting back to the UK if you've been lucky and you've been able to uh, to climb it. And you just need to be sort of lucky and keep going, really. So tell me how that works. So where do you fly into and then do you do training and how does it? How, how long did it take you? Ooh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I left Christmas Day. I, it was my 58th birthday, I do recall. Um, oh, yes, because of course you were born on Christmas Day. Well, uh, somebody has to be. Um, <laughs> uh, 58th birthday and I flew that night to Buenos Aires went to um and then transferred to Mendoza with a ludicrous amount of luggage which I managed somehow not to pay any excess baggage on even though I had something like I I think I was really stretching all the baggage rules um I had about 1.5 times my body weight in luggage then we just went to the base camp and we stayed there a couple of days i think to sort of acclimatize yeah and then you just climb up and then climb back and climb up and you're gradually taking stuff up the mountain and then coming back halfway and it's is it odd i've never really climbed a mountain is it odd when you kind of go up that you then actually have to come back down again before then going further up for for anybody who just likes a journey to be a kind of linear thing it's, it's completely mad but you have to do it and there's lots of very good medical type people all the way along who are checking whether or not you're you're up to this and it's it's just kind of luck if you genuinely luck and and plodding away so and what are the vistas like oh they're they're mostly terrible (laughs) mostly terrible because it's just bare 
mountains. And so right. it's not like a wonderful Alpine or Pyrenean scene, particularly where you've got you know, a beautiful little village tucked into the fold of a mountain. Nothing like this bleakness. Right. Um, and more climbers than you would have otherwise because it's the highest point outside the Himalayas. So um, so it's more of a challenge rather than a beautiful Oh, Oh, yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go there for the views. Right. Um, you would go there because it's... it's um, Oh, I think they say because it's there, you go there because it gives you a, a sense of achievement, uh, yeah. particularly if you're scared of heights. Yeah. And, and, can, and are you? Oh, yeah. Petrified. Yeah. Mm. So. But there's very few things you can fall off. I've, I mean, I've, I've climbed um, uh, Kinabalu in, in Southeast Asia and you can most definitely fall off there really painfully. Gosh. Uh, but you can't really fall off Aconcagua. Right. Um, luckily. Right. And I didn't. And so it was a memorable experience well, for you. Well, yeah. And, and what, what I learned about myself was that I'm not a mountain man. I'm, right. I'm, I'm a cities person mm-hmm. uh, because the greatest thing, and I uh, managed to um, come back down the mountain. They were heading back to Buenos Aires. I was going across to Santiago, which I'd not been to. And, um, oh, gosh, immediately you get into, you have to have a vehicle to cross the border. I didn't have a vehicle and I had too much luggage and everything. And everyone was so nice and helped me and uh, got to Santiago and just went out and had a steak and a glass of red wine. I thought, oh, this is my comfort zone. And uh, this is, uh, I, I just loved the noise and the bustle and the excitement and and the the restaurants and yeah. the airport and all the other things. I've always wanted to go to Santiago. It's gorgeous. Uh, there was a bit of trouble back end of uh, last year, uh, which is a shame um, because it's uh, uh, most Latin American capital cities are quite ugly. Um, let's take out of that uh, Buenos Aires is, is not in the centre, um, but most of them are big and ugly and horrible. Santiago is just a, a joy, I find. Really? Mm. So would you recommend that as a South American starting point if you hadn't been to the continent before? I think I probably would. That's Mm. a very good question. Of course, it's the furthest South American capital from the UK, but makes perfectly good sense to go there and then come back. Yes. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels 
even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers? just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. So chapter four then is my favorite chapter. Okay, yeah. And that is your all-time favorite destination. Right. Well, I've done some homework on this Mm -hmm. and I would say that it's a matter of timing. And so all-time destination, well, see... In 1989, and I don't know what it was special about that year, although I sort of began it in East Berlin um, at the time when, of course, nobody ever expected the wall to fall, let alone later that same year. Um, I went to Albania. I took a group of um, uh, football fans, or actually Albania fans, to the World Cup match, um, Mm -hmm. uh, Albania against England, um, which uh, England won 2-1. Uh, in Tirana and then towards the end of the year I went to Cuba for the first time and in all of those places and yes I don't know if it's coincidental they're all kind of weird communist places being there in that moment was really special but now I mean well let's let's go through them Uh, East Berlin is great but it's kind of all part of uh, of of greater Berlin Um, Albania I just find like the sort of wild west um, as opposed to the weird east Um, what is Albania like I'm really curious about Albania because I imagine it should have beautiful coastline oh it's it's got a beautiful coastline lovely beaches um, fantastic mountains Um, but just because it had a more extreme form of state communism than anywhere else in Europe. It does sort of feel slightly left behind. Mm. Uh, And on to Cuba. Yeah, Cuba. Well, Cuba in 1989 was peak Cuba in the sense that the Soviet Union still existed and the Soviet Union was just pumping loads of cash into Cuba, uh, which was handy for Cuba. It was as close as you could get to a worker's paradise in the Caribbean. You could get rum. The black market worked really well, so you would get cheap cheap pesos and and live like a a king it was uh, a wonderful time to be a traveler there um within five years it became a painful time to be a traveler there and a a million times more painful for the poor cubans because their money got cut off um Mm. and now well of course cuba is just great and it has resisted americanization uh, which is good and it has kept its character but of course like any boring person who's been to somewhere probably before many people you say oh it's not like it used to be yeah and it really isn't like it used to be but it's still great Mm. but it hasn't having said that I'm surprised it hasn't changed even more yeah I I know what you mean I'm surprised too it would have been very easy for it just to say right we're just going to do tourism we look beautiful yeah but it hasn't and 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 um that's a tribute, I think, to the people probably more than the government who probably don't really know what's going on very much. And apologies, Cuban government, if you are listening, I would like to come back to your wonderful country <laughs> and I promise I won't be rude about it. <laughs> so 
You are the go-to guy for travel tips. I wondered, what what are your thoughts about the best places we could travel to by train? Because there are ah. so many fantastic well, routes. Well, and- you can do, but the, the, the train operators are making it as difficult as they possibly can for yeah. you to go by train. Um, it is ridiculous. Look, y- you or I, you, you've got a smartphone there. You could, while we're talking, in one minute book yourself a flight to Barcelona, okay? And you'd have a choice of dozens of departures during the day and you could probably get one for 50 quid without even thinking about it. Yeah. If you were going to travel to Barcelona by train, you would need to sort out something with, well, let's say you bypass Eurostar and you go straight to um, uh, Rail Europe, French Railways, and and you book something. Um, But it's going to cost you an awful lot of money and it's going to be cumbersome. And then if your train is late getting to Paris, then they won't hold the connection for you. It's just going to be very messy. And that's one of the more extremely easy long distance journeys. You try getting to Rome by train. Um, you spend longer planning the trip than it would take you actually to fly there. So the train operators really need to sort themselves out. Um, and while they haven't, the um, low cost airlines will continue to um, rule. Right. Okay. So we need to see a change being made there for the infrastructure. Well, I mean, it's been to make it plain, easier for everyone. It's been plain for twenty years that mm. that's what they need to do. They've just chosen not to for their own internal reasons. Mm, interesting. So. We've talked about your all-time favourite destination. I wondered then, what's your favourite city? Favourite city? Uh, well, London's pretty good from uh, from any account. Don't don't take to New York. I've spent quite a lot of time there, but it's just uh, I find it big and unfriendly and ugly, um, as opposed to other mammoth cities. I completely love Shanghai and Chicago, mm. um, but uh, I, New York I don't find particularly friendly. Oh, I, I expect uh, Mumbai where it's mad and ludicrously overcrowded and such fun, such nice people, uh, such so diverse, such a mix of people, fantastic food. Everything is really easy, even though you're in this overflowing city. So, yeah, Mumbai probably. Thank you. And do you have a favourite hotel? Ah, um, I've got a few hotels that I have stayed in that, are particularly memorable. Um, first one is Esquinas Rainforest Lodge. And if you ever find yourself in southern Costa Rica, that's mm. the place to go to, very close to the Panamanian border. Um, I first went there on Christmas Day 1999 with my by then wife, Charlotte, and we stayed there. And that was um, uh, wonderful. And I went back to film there about five years later. Um, And um, by that stage, um, we had a wonderful daughter called Daisy, who was, um, uh, I think, um, technically conceived there. So that was Mm -hmm. that was a delight. Um, what was it like? Tell me about the Oh, it's just it's so it is a proper eco hotel. I would hesitate before applying eco to anything but it it really is done on the soundest principle so it is constructed using local materials with local workers it's all founded i think by the good old austrians who just sent a whole shed loads of cash over um uh, properly sustainable um buildings all the water for the swimming pool comes from the rainforest um it is a fantastic driver of employment for people in the local village and it just you know consumes all the stuff that um, that they grow locally and, and sell in the market so and the wildlife uh, oh there's, there's lots of birds i'm not i'm not very good at spotting birds but i could look out the window here and tell you if that's an airbus a330 
or a Boeing 787 really? going into Heathrow. But those I could, are the I, birds I, I that you could spot. I can do a sparrow or an eagle. Well, <laughs> maybe I could those two. But um, uh, so, so I'm not a great bird spotter. But of course, just being in the um, in the wilds is. Um, is wonderful. So on that trip, did you stay just simply in that that one hotel, no, or did you no, travel no, no, around? No, it was all. We were going down the Pan American Highway from uh, Nuevo Laredo in um, the far north of Mexico, all the way down to kind of where the Pan American Highway dissolves in um, in Panama City. It was great. Oh, what a trip! It was. I'm um, just hitching and buses and things. And in fact, that day we hitched there because. Uh, the buses were all full because it was Christmas Day, my birthday, and I went off to get the bus tickets in the morning and I got mugged very badly there and I managed to run away. Oh, um, and there we On are. your birthday and Christmas well, Day, fine, double but it, everything, everything turned good, thank you. Mm. On that route, what were your highlights? I mean, it's such an incredible... Yeah, I, I did like northern Mexico. It's got more and more dangerous. Um, and then Mexico City, I adore almost as much as I adore Mumbai. And then Puebla, beautiful colonial place, and Oaxaca, uh, just gorgeous. And then uh, oh, just going through Guatemala and... Uh, Honduras and Nicaragua and but Panama I think is the funniest place in Central America mm-hmm. um, so yeah all good so chapter five then is your hidden gem can you tell me about a place I mean you're so well traveled and oh. you must have so many oh no 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 just a just a few so um, I was really interested you talked to Giles Brandreth what a splendid fellow mm-hmm. and he said he was born in Wuppertal in Germany, but he didn't say, and it's the home of the Schwebeberbahn, which is an upside dangling, upside down dangling tram. Um, and that's wonderful. Wow. Yes. And so that's a definitely a hidden de- gem, very close to Dusseldorf and Cologne. Um, I love, like, again, quite a lot of people you've talked to, sort of former Soviet places and the place you can find the closest you're ever going to get to what it was like in the Soviet Union um, is uh, Tiraspol, which is the capital of Transnistria, which is the breakaway, unrecognised segment of Moldova that uh, is off the off the map. Um, What's that like? Oh, it's, it's just it's, you, know, you have still got statues of Stalin, not to mention Lenin. Um, you've got uh, the, the sense of of kind of public order of, of everybody kind of watching everybody else, of nothing really being available very easily. It's so exciting and compelling, particularly for people who weren't lucky enough like me to be able to get to the old Soviet Union. Is it quite brutal in terms of architecture? Oh well, they got they got yes, it is actually. Yeah, quite um, stark. I'm trying to think if there's any charming bits, and no, charming bits were thin on the ground, but just <laughs> just fascinating. Um, and then the Azores, which I don't know why so few people go don't go to them i've done seven of the nine so far i'm keep hoping to go back to the uh, uh the remaining two they are just joyful and each one is different the azores are islands that are in the atlantic uh, yeah yeah so, so 1000 miles off the coast of uh, portugal portuguese islands um utterly charming uh incredibly cheap for some reason i don't really know why um, what would I you think, compare them to? Because a lot of people don't haven't heard uh, of them. Oh, so they're, like, they're a they're... bit like low rent um, in every sense, canaries, but kind of smaller and greener and more charming. Right. And um, actually, you just reminded me. I had I think probably the 
the best single day's hitchhiking ever on the island of Santa Maria, where um, Concord used to refuel. And I think I went three times, three times in a row, where the first car that came along stopped, which has never happened before. It's like the golf equivalent of getting three holes in one or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Azores would be there. And um, Syracuse in, in Sicily, not, not many people go there. Billions of people flying to Catania Airport. Yeah. And they don't just go out wait by the bus stop in half an hour a bus will be along it will take you an hour it'll take you to this miraculous city so steeped in history just of course invaded by every every civilization which swept across the mediterranean so lots of greek roman history now it's slightly tottering italian place i mean sicily i think is kind of like a distilled more intense version of italy so um Mm. so so that's very good um, yeah, there's just so many. And I suppose the other hidden gem, because I don't think people properly appreciate it, is Ryanair. Um, <laughs> it is a, just a, a great way to travel. And um, I think people need to find joy. Uh, I, just end of last year, I was flying from um, uh, from Killarney in Ireland to Stansted. And I paid £18, I think, maybe less. Uh, and I got a window seat, obviously, because I just went for the, uh, the, the, the best seat available uh-huh. um, when I got on. And you just get this fantastic map of the whole of the south of Ireland. And then you can see Cornwall coming into view and then the whole of the Bristol Channel. And you're looking down and you've just got the whole. Uh, uh, as somebody who constantly never thought they'd be on an aeroplane apart from the once going to Guernsey. It's just so, so joyful. So, so yeah, a window seat on Ryanair, I would say, is, is one of life's little joys. Big joys, really. That's a way of being grateful for even the kind of smaller things that people kind of oh. moan about, right? So... We're on to chapter six, oh, and no. that is the place that yeah. you never go oh, back to. Okay, fantastic. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this one. <laughs> the terrible cruise that I dragged my poor, long-suffering family on to Arctic, Canada and Greenland. Um, it be- oh. began quite well with a Ryanair flight to Copenhagen and a night in the um, Hilton there, and then uh, a beautiful flight across to uh, the Kangalusak. Your Greenlandic listeners must forgive my pronunciation. And we stayed in the youth hostel there, and that was all quite fun. And then things really got bad when we got on the Adventure Canada boat, um, which then delivered about one third of what we'd been expecting. It was true disappointment. The family were great about it. I just felt so awful. So why was it so disappointing? Well, because they said, we're going to go here and here and here and here and here. And also it all looked sounded great. And then they said, actually, we're not going to go there. And we're not going to do that. And yeah, we're going to let you go in the boats for an hour. But then we're going to bring you back to the ship. Oh, and then the crew are going to go out in boats and enjoy themselves for two hours. It was that staggeringly awful. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it was. And, and I promised the family, look, put up with this. And we got first and only time we're going to put you in a five star hotel in uh, Ottawa. And um, unfortunately, the flight was um, 13 hours late. So we got there about five o'clock in the morning and um, oh. they were still very nice about it. Even so. So what uh, would you say to somebody who is in that circumstance themselves as a traveller? But all you can do is just say, uh, there's no point getting rude or, or, or whatever. All you can do is say, look, I'm not sure that you're doing what you could be doing. And I, I talk to them all the way constantly in a nice way, um, I hope. And afterwards, when I was writing it up, I said, look, um, what, what about this and what about that? And they were effectively just saying, you know, we, we think we did fine. And that's yeah. great. If that's what you think is doing fine, then that's uh, good luck to you. But um, I will never, ever go anywhere near one of your ships again. Thank you. <laughs> Have you 
cruised since are you into cruising oh, at all my, my family love going on cruises i can sort of see the appeal particularly in somewhere like the uh caribbean where actually getting to see half a dozen caribbean islands is incredibly difficult if you um were to do it yourself with mm. um uh putting together flights and ferries and so on um so a cruise is good uh and i you know i just love the i they love being on ships i love escaping from ships so it kind of works and yeah. cruising is you know, good value because they're assuming you're going to order um a bottle of the finest claret every night and if you don't then actually you can, you can have quite a cheap trip and the other great place to do it is alaska all the way from well whittier the port for anchorage all the way down to um uh, vancouver that's great too and again cheaper and better than other ways of covering the same ground and you see it from a different vantage point yeah it's great yeah so chapter seven then simon is your next big adventure what do you have coming up this year that's on the horizon well i'm gonna try and get to the azores um which are uh yeah, just just to do those two and then the rest of it is sort of a matter of watching to see what happens and i'm in the lucky position of being able to just think right um oh well something's happening here i'm going to go and take a look and um if Mm -hmm. you if you're able to travel kind of off peak you can do things at a moment's notice and it's it's almost going back to the kind of serendipity and uh, opportunism of um, of hitchhiking i would say and what was your what would you say was your travel highlight from last year Oh, good question. Uh, probably Scotland. Yeah, it's a wonderful destination. Yeah. And um, uh, just just uh, when, the, when the sun shines, I, yeah, I climbed some of the coolins in um, the far end of sky. And that was oh, breathtaking. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I can't believe that we're already on to chapter eight. And that is what is at the top of your bucket list? Well, OK, um, I would say Nepal. Never been there for various complicated reasons. We're trying to go with the family, but then the earthquake struck mm-hmm. very sadly. Um, and uh, on the subject of mountains that uh, I could probably climb without falling off, I'm very interested in Vinson in um, Antarctica, the highest mountain there. It's about the same height, I think, as um, Mont Blanc, but further away. And if I could possibly get it to tie in with the eclipse in December 2021, I think that would be quite special. Oh, yeah, that absolutely would be. And how would you get there? Well, you you, um, uh, go to Ushuaia, southern end of um, Argentina, and you you sort of do the maritime equivalent of hitchhiking, which is just um, sit there and um, wait for, uh, just make it known that you're after some kind of passage to Antarctica and um, and wait and see if there's a a no-show on a boat and you just get over there. So. That's, wow. That would be one way to do it. That is going to the farthest end of the planet. How exciting. Well, I hope that you get there. Thank you. So do I. But you never know with travel, do you? Just, just make the most of everything you can. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Simon. Those were your travel diaries. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you. What an absolute treat. Oh, that was Simon Calder. His enthusiasm for travel is just infectious, isn't it? You can follow his travels on his Twitter page at Simon Calder and tune into his podcast, which is on SoundCloud. It's called Escape Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode today, then leaving a review or rating really helps other people to discover the podcast. Don't forget, you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, pretty much all other podcast apps. Wherever you leave a review, it really helps. 
And to find out who's on next week's show, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you again next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.